the Recovery Revolution will be podcast on the Since Right Now Addiction Recovery Network. This is the Unruffled Podcast, episode 108. This is a podcast about recovery through creativity. We live an intentional life. We thrive. I am Sandra Primo. And I'm Tammy Salas. And we are The Unruffled. Hey, Sandra. Good morning. How are you? This Hi. week. I'm great. I'm really, really good. I was completely unplugged all weekend and we do a camping trip. Well, we've done it the last few years and we do it in April. And um, so I've been like outside under the stars and the giant, giant full moon. Hmm. Completely uh, no cell phone or Wi-Fi. I just don't get it. Our cell phone doesn't coverage doesn't reach at this particular place mm-hmm. it's on a lake my family was there. yeah my mommy came uh, it was so nice lots of hiking lots of burned marshmallows <laughs> wasn't it the pink moon the full moon was called the pink moon i saw somewhere i don't know i feel like it's always called something but it was a big giant full moon and it was oh. so beautiful it was so beautiful i slept like a rock because i don't i know that the full moon disrupts some people's sleeping but not mine it, i sleep like a like a like i'm dead do you sleep so. in a tent uh, we do not, uh, but it's, it's pretty, I mean, it's like a cinder block square. <laughs> it oh, has a yeah. roof on it right. and two bunk beds that are, I don't really know if they're more comfortable than a blow up mattress, honestly. Gotcha. Um, but at least you're kind of like, you're a bit out of the elements, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Um, now Chloe brought a friend and they slept in a tent. Mm, and Chloe. yeah, but my son slept in our cabin. He usually has a friend too, but his friend couldn't make it. And he was very disgruntled about oh. going. Super disgruntled. That's because, fun. You know, That's so he was fun. going to lose his Wi-Fi for the weekend. Mm. And he's so bored. Right. And then he ended up embracing it and having a great time. My mother-in-law usually comes, but she couldn't make it. She's been having some health issues. And so it was just my mom and we played a ton of Scrabble. I mean, I just got, I just scratched the Scrabble itch. Uh, anyway, it was so fun. And so I'm having, a, I'm having a, I'm not having a rough time this morning, but I'm just trying to like plug back in. <laughs> right. It's a little jarring. It can be a little jarring. It, it is. That re-entry, yes. right? <laughs> yeah. Well, um, have you watched, side note, have you watched The Handmaid's Tale? Mm, no, I have not. Okay. So you just saying you played Scrabble made me think of it because she plays Scrabble with her master of the house. Oh. Um, it's so good, Sandra. Is it? I got it free with Spotify or something for a month. So I'm trying it out. So I quickly thought we need to watch The Handmaid's Tale. You would love it. Would I? Okay. Would, okay. It's, it's I mean, profound. I I loved the book. I read it a long mm-hmm. time ago. Um, 
but just the style too, just the dresses and how they're all having to dress the same and the wives have to dress the same in green and the ants dress in gray. And it's all just delineating the, the women, but just visually seeing it is, is, is you know, stark. It's, I don't know. It's good. It's really good. Yeah. Oh yeah. I know um, a lot of people have liked it. But she scores high in Scrabble. She's quite the competitor for him in Scrabble. Really? So that's what just made me think of that. Well, I really like it when my husband plays because, because he's hard to beat. Mm -hmm. But I did beat him one time this weekend. I just want to go on the record saying that. Duly <laughs> uh, really noted. I have noted it in our notes. And I <laughs> did not let anyone let that slip by anyone mm -hmm. that was in within earshot that I beat him in Scrabble. But yeah, he's a pretty, um, he's hard to be. He's a pretty competitive player. He makes, uh, it's hard to describe it anyway. He goes for the points, put it that way. Oh yeah. My husband, I've only beat him once and it was on Christmas day a couple of years ago and it lives in infamy in our house because mm -hmm. me and Grady, are always, Grady and I both beat him. So we're pretty proud about that. So I understand. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, good weekend. What about you? Um, I had a fun, I had a, an art date with my art professor at my oh, house. Nice. Oh, nice. And so she has been such, I was thinking this weekend after she left, she's been such an important person in my life these last four years. And I've taken most of my art classes with her. Um, art and design, painting, drawing, um, and now figure drawing. And she's just so encouraging and really is helpful, like in the bigger scheme of things, like what do you want to do? And, and she's from a fine art world. She comes down from, from Southern California. She came up here four years ago and she's teaching at this, at, at the college, but she um, is interested in my world too. Like, well, how do you share things on Instagram? And so brave of you to do this or that. And I'm like, Oh, I don't know. I just, you just, I've just done it since I've started making things. So she's like, I need to loosen up a little bit. So we've been taught, we share with each other and kind of glean from each other what we need to. And, um, she's helping me figure out what I'm going to do after I graduate, which I wasn't really sure. I thought I was just going to be done and do whatever I want. And, um, she shared with me, she did this program called art for healing and mm. it's um, a certificate program that you take down in Southern California. And then you can start teaching workshops and using, um, using art for, as a healing modality. Mm. And mm -hmm. it's an intensive class um, that I would need to take this summer, but I'm looking into it. I wonder if it's something similar to what um, Adrian, Adriana Marchione, like some of her accreditations were. Yeah, I around mean, art and healing. I was going to talk to um to Adriana because, but I think she went to Sonoma State. Like a lot of this art for recovery, um, you have to be have a four year diploma, you know, mm -hmm. degree, your BA, and um, and I don't have that mm -hmm. to even be eligible to take those kind of classes. So art therapy is different than art for recovery, um, I think is his own designation. It, it's a different thing. Mm -hmm. So this would be a softer, easier way for me to enter that and to incorporate it into workshops that I'm doing with Natalie and Sasha. Right. Um, which we're talking about expanding those and doing those um, like a weekend thing. Mm -hmm. So I'm just trying to figure out how I can, what I can do. And, right. And um, my professor was really generous. She's like, you already have everything you need to do what you want to do. Sure. You could just go do it, Tammy. 
Right. You could just trust yourself and write your own, yeah. write your own program. Yeah. Um, but I feel like I need a little bit of guidance with this and, um, it's a week long class. So I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to check that out this summer and take it. Well, that sounds uh, fun. Yeah. So that, that was it. And then I just kind of made art all weekend and did things at home and forgot it was Easter. Mm. Um, so that's, I get awesome mom points for that. Mm. <laughs> such pagans. Um, so yeah, that was, that was just a nice quiet weekend at home. It was good. Oh, nice. Good. Um, do you have anything you want to promote before we introduce our guest? Sure. So, um, as we're recording this, uh, it is uh, not up, but that's not here nor there because by the time this airs, it will be. Um, I talked about last podcast about a mentoring experience that I'm offering. It's going to be called um, Change Your Story, and it is up on my website, theunruffled.com. And it's really an opportunity just to work with me one-on-one. Um, so if you are interested uh, go to my site and you'll find lots of, there's going to be some sort of exploratory questions. If you answer yes to those questions, then possibly we'd be a good fit to work together. Oh, I love it. And when yeah. is it all starting? You're kind of... Um, May. May. Okay. May 1st. Yeah. Great. I think May 1st. May-ish. Beginning of May. Okay. Good. Well, I am offering a program too called Shine, and it's going to be a five-week online um, creative workshop. Um, for the curious beginner. So if that sounds like you, uh, listener, let me know. Um, it's on my website at tammysolace.com. And we're going to have Zoom calls uh, uh, twice a week. So once a week will be the lesson. And then the Saturday option, it's totally optional on Saturdays, but if it's more like a work session. And we are going to be creating a ray of light for those who are interested in creating a ray of light as the accountability project. So I'll take you through five weeks of um, talking about your space, um, researching yourself, tools, routines, and rituals, and how to start an accountability project um, if you would like to. So that is available. It starts June 3rd is when it begins, and you can find all of the details on my website. All right. Anything else we have to? That's it. Yeah. Rate us on iTunes, please, please, please. Um, leave a review or um, become a patron of the show at patreon.com backslash the unruffled podcast. Yes. All right. Let's get to our awesome guest today. Yeah. So today on the podcast, we have Ingrid Miller and uh, Ingrid, I'll tell you a little bit about Ingrid. She is 45. She's three years sober and lives with her husband and pug, Ethel, <laughs> in Burien, Washington, which is just south of Seattle. She grew up in New York City, then moved all over the place after college, mostly jumping from internet job to boyfriend to internet job until she settled in the Seattle area 15 years ago. Today, Ingrid is primarily a VP GM for the travel division of Alpha, or, uh, excuse me, Media Alpha, an ad technology company based in LA. She has worked in digital media and advertising for most of her 25-year career, despite her many dreams of being any of the following, opera singer, Broadway musical star, political investigative journalism, 
journalist, fat activist, multi-size clothing designer, maker, professional writer, or bookstore owner. Yeah, and she opened her first bookstore, Three Trees Books, on February 3rd of this year, mostly because she got sick of waiting for the right moment to give it a shot. She carries an outsized number of drinking memoirs at the store and refuses to sell diet books. Um, we loved our conversation with her, and I think our listeners are going to really um, dig this too. For um, sure. Yeah. Her web, if you want to find her bookstore, it's threetreesbooks.com. Um, same thing on Instagram, Three Trees Books and Facebook. Her personal blog is called totalfatty.com. And it's a blog about getting sober and um, you know, recovering from her diet mentality. And you can find her on Instagram as well at Ingrid Mickelson Miller um, for her personal account. And I really enjoyed our conversation. Oh, for sure. You guys are going to love Ingrid. Yeah. Enjoy. Good morning, Ingrid. Good morning. Good morning, ladies. Oh, how is everyone today? I am good. I'm not going to talk about myself, but I'm great. Uh, <laughs> You're over yourself already? Wow. <laughs> no. Uh, I'll save it for the intro, but um, I, I just got back from camping and com being completely unplugged. And so I'm having a hard time plugging back in. That's uh, all I'll say. Hopefully it won't be too rough this morning. <laughs> Well, Ingrid, how are you? How are you, Ingrid? <laughs> I'm well. I just got back from a vacation in Kauai. Ooh, how was that? It was great. It was really great. I, I, I saw your photos. Yeah, I saw some of your photos on Instagram. Oh, beautiful. It, it, was, it was really amazing and really needed um, because I actually work every single day of the week now. Mm. It was a very strange existence. Um, so it was really nice to have a week off. Well, where are you talking to us from? So our listeners know. Um, I live in Seattle. Well, actually just south of Seattle now in Burien, Washington. And it's gray outside. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Sorry. I'm not going to tell you what it's like here. I'm going to just be quiet. <laughs> no, no, it's okay. It's okay. I just came from Kauai. I can handle it. That's right. Yeah, you probably need some sunshine, right? Like with it being gray up in Seattle. Yeah, I actually felt the vitamin D kind of regenerating while mm. I was in It was really nice. Uh, well, I was just up near you. I heard and saw and I was pretty envious, actually. Oh, have you ever been to, to Wright Doe Bay? Have you ever gone to that? No. No. Well, they have it twice a year, Ingrid, and um, the next one's in October, and I highly recommend it. And it's, you don't have to be a professional. No. Have to just, I'm not a writer. I'm a creative. So it's, for, it's a creative retreat. You know, they do some writing exercises. They have writers there, um, taps into people's stories, storytellers, poets, musicians. Um, yeah, it was really, really cool. That is cool. Yeah. And I saw that um, Christy Coulter was mm. there on the same island. I know. <laughs> right. For writing, for what, for why was she there? Was it Orcus Lit Fest or is that what oh, they called a it? Literary Fest. Yeah. 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 Jay Ryan Stradle was there who wrote The Kitchens of the Midwest. 
And he was one of the teachers at Wright Bay. He's fantastic. And um, he was a teaching artist uh, at Dobay, but he also was on a panel at LitFest. So he had to leave for a little bit and go do his panel work. And, and he was like, you're a friend of Christy. I'm a friend of Christy Coulter's. And we connected that way. So, yeah, but he has a new book called the Milwaukee Lager Queen, um, which is all about beer. So I don't know if that interests you or not, but uh, he was a fantastic writer. So it's fiction and uh, I'm going to check it out. And Ingrid, you've hung out with Christy before, right? Yeah, a few times. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah. I actually met her for the first time at a Bell Robin- Robertson get together. Okay. Okay. So you did you do Bell's Hundred Day Challenge or anything uh, like that? I did I, I did the free Hundred Day Challenge? Uh huh. I really like her, uh, but um, I totally crashed her her you know get together in Seattle when she came over from Paris because um, I had a couple of friends who had done her program and uh huh. So I was literally a party crasher. Oh, that's great. A sober sure they, party crasher. I'm sure they weren't going to kick you out or anything. Yeah. She didn't kick me out, but she was like, who are you? <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing here? You're like, I'm Ingrid. I'm sober. You are my people. <laughs> we find each other. <laughs> yeah, but I bought her book and I, I really liked it. <laughs> <laughs> well, Christy's great, right? Yeah, she is. She yeah. Is. Yeah. So um, we'll probably get into it a little bit later, but I, for people who don't know who Belle is, because I don't fully know who Belle is, so maybe we could touch on that in a little while. Yeah, sure. Okay, okay. Um, so normally how we start, um, Ingrid, is we kind of just jump in and ask you, like, how did you come to the decision to, to remove alcohol from your life, to quit drinking, to kind of head down this path um, of sobriety? Um, yeah. You know, just so that people can can – sometimes find their story in you, you know, and they'll listen and see how you did it. And it might resonate. Yeah. It, it's funny. There are just so many ways to answer that. <laughs> um, and I, I'll try to do the, the shorter version. Um, but for, for me, drinking wine in particular uh, was incredibly symbolic of so many important things uh, that I'd sort of cultivated in myself in my life. Um, it was excess, glamour, fun, relaxation. Um, it, it was all those wonderful things. And um, it was an easy way to make and nurture friendships, um, broke down barriers. And it definitely helped me escape um, just lifelong underlying anxiety in, in many ways. Um, and sort of two in particular, really, my romantic life and my career. Um, and I think it's sort of interesting with work. Um, I've been in the internet industry for 25 years. Um, so it was, I was a really early, uh, internet person. Um, and it really, I didn't intend to work in the internet. Um, it didn't really exist as a career when I was in school. Uh, so I think I was always on this sort of hunt for meaning in my job and drinking with coworkers and being an idiot or, you know, doing whatever you do with coworkers really helped me create real friendships at work, um, or at least I, I saw it that way. Um, and those friendships and those bonds kind of added a layer of meaning to my work. Um, so I think it was, it was, there were a lot of different layers to this, but um, 
for me, that combo of needing to break down my own anxiety to, to date men and, and get out in the world and then also in the career space to add some, some glimmer of purpose, um, uh, the two together made drinking just a really powerful combination for me. And then, you know, it also helped me create this image of myself in my own head as this sort of, you know, hostess uh, extraordinaire who would have great dinner parties and, you know, put out 12 bottles of wine for a dinner party of six, you know, and things like that. So that people never felt like they would run out. <laughs> right. Or in, most importantly, you've never felt like you it would be for you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it started as a generous gesture. And right, right. Eventually, eventually. I'm projecting then. <laughs> you're absolutely right. I don't want anyone to notice that we've run out, you know, or, or that I don't ever want to feel like I'm going to run out. I would even put out bowls of loose cigarettes at dinner parties um, because I was a smoker, but everybody I knew liked to have a cigarette here and there, you know, when they were drinking. And so it was just, you know, excess was my game. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and, and there's so many other things about that, that, uh, it just felt like it was my identity. Um, but I, a lot of it was, again, it was almost intentionally created, um, to overcome my, my fear of being essentially unattractive and not worthy, which is a really long tale, which I won't get into, but, um, clothing, my home, what it looks like, um, you know, the parties I threw, it was all kind of part of um, repackaging myself up, um, mostly just to be loved, right? If I break it down. Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, I met the man I fell in love with and wanted to marry. And this was about five years ago, six years ago. And we got married. Um, and then it was literally like a balloon deflated, because it's so much of my life, almost all of my life and energy was spent creating this thing, this person that, um, you know, was designed to, to achieve a milestone, which was in large part getting married, which sounds so stupid, but it just was, it was this, you know, badge of, of worthiness and, once that happened, and I didn't realize this consciously, this is all looking back, um, I, it just felt like the project was gone and the balloon deflated and I was just sitting around married and didn't have any meaning and um, it didn't solve my problems. Let's just put it that way. Um, so I, I basically spent the first year of my marriage on the front porch drinking a bottle of wine, smoking American spirits, because <laughs> it's healthier. Right, because it's a healthy <laughs> cigarette. <laughs> Smoked them. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, uh, staring at my phone, social media. I mean, it, it was just the most intense numbing out I think I've ever done in my life. Um, and, and at the time, I was still sort of in diet mentality and, you know, still hated my body in various ways. And so I wasn't really burying my myself in food. So it was just, I had to go to booze and cigarettes. Um, and it was always wine and it was always very expensive wine. And that was sort of my excuse. It wasn't really a problem <laughs> because the wine was at least $30 a bottle or something ridiculous. Um, so 
anyway, and my husband was just sitting inside, like wondering what was going on. I, I actually don't know exactly what he thought, but I know it wasn't fun. Um, and so at that point, um, and I was working from home and I was working from home for an East coast company. So my work was done at two or three in the afternoon, you know, Pacific time. Uh, and I just started drinking earlier and earlier and earlier. Um, and it just ramped up. And then I thought, Oh, I should moderate. And as soon as I started trying to moderate, um, my diet mentality, a lifelong, you know, cycles of dieting and then binging and then dieting and then binging, um, you know, succeed and fail and succeed and fail. Well, that just kicked in, you know, hugely with drinking. And I started, you know, not drinking for Monday to Thursday and then, you know, going nuts on Friday through Sunday or whatever it was, you know, the various things that we do. And, um, and I just felt like a failure all the time. And I felt like I was lying to myself all the time. You know, I'd just say, I'm not going to drink um, tomorrow. And then I would, and then I would just, my integrity was getting ripped apart. Um, and it was just, it was kind of killing my soul. And eventually I just started thinking, oh God, maybe I need to actually quit, quit. And then I just started searching the internet for anybody who could give me anything other than I'm an alcoholic and need to go to AA. <laughs> it was like anything but that. Um, Cause I just didn't feel like that fit um, at the time. Now I'm, I'm got a very different view on it all, but at the time it was just too, too scary to admit that. Um, so I did go to an AA meeting or two, um, but ultimately ended up getting my help that I needed um, through just uh, a ton of different resources online. And, um, uh, and then it took me a while and <laughs> to, I tried and, you know, got a couple of weeks here and there. Uh, and then I think it, I mean, I know it stuck on April 15th, um, uh, 2016. Um, but I, I, I still haven't really fully figured out why it's stuck at that point, but, um, that's when I actually quit. So you just celebrated three years. Congrats. I did. I did. Thank you. Wow. So do you remember what you found first online? I was struggling. I was thinking about this last night and I can't remember. I really can't. Um, it was, I, I might've been, um, Jean McCarthy, Jean McCarthy's site might've been bells. Um, I definitely Googled trying, you know, tired of thinking about drinking. <laughs> right. Bell's mm-hmm. URL. Um, and I definitely Googled things like how to quit drinking without AA or, you know, for high bottom. Like I even knew the lingo. Um, you know, like I had a bunch of different ideas about right. where I was, where my bottom was. Um, Did you ever take any of the, uh, of the tests? Are you an alcoholic test? A lot. Yeah. Yeah. How'd those work? Well, I always passed. Right, because we lie, right? Because <laughs> we're like, yeah, not compl- well, not lie. We're not completely honest, whatever. But I, I passed those too until I got honest. Yeah. No, I, I think the, the question that always got me was like, do you feel like you need to drink in the morning? 
And that was the one where I was like, absolutely not. Right. Right. That was the hard line. And so then it's like, clearly I am not an alcoholic, (laughs) clearly, because yeah, you know, I never took those tests. I I know I had never taken a one test. I took one. Yeah. I took one after Mm. I got sober (laughs) just because I was so curious, but I never took one. No, that's how far deep in denial I was. I was like, nope, don't even want to look at that. Oh no, I I don't want to know the answer. (laughs) The, the Virgo list maker had to prove it. She was like, nope, I took this test. I checked the boxes. I'm absolutely not. Um, and I think the morning thing was a big one for me too, Ingrid, because I never did that. Never. Me neither. Um, but that's because I was so freaking hungover. Right. Um, <laughs> I just like to beat myself up for, you know, a good six to eight hours, you know, well- so... And if I had seen that question, I would have thought, well, there's brunch. That's <laughs> before noon. So yeah. Check. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Care of the dog. I've definitely had I definitely had that, especially, you know, not every morning or anything. But was know. there something you could hang on to, Ingrid? Was there something that you could hang on to at that time that did finally like, you know, because I call this this period the step zero. Yeah. You know, like when you're kind of just feeling your way around, you know, there's a problem, but you're not quite, you can't, you know, and you're just accumulating resources at that point and investigating. Yeah. I, I think, um, I think for me, uh, I held on to, well, (laughs) a lot of different things. Um, I, you know, honestly, this is going to sound really obnoxious. Um, but, I held on to the idea that I was stopping early, even though it really wasn't early. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but totally. Insane amount of self, you know, like congratulatory. Mm-hmm. <laughs> whatever it takes, whatever it takes. I really believed so firmly um, that I was not an alcoholic, that I was stopping before I became an alcoholic. Um, and I think that like, that image, you know, was very important to me at the time. Um, Mm -hmm. and, uh, so that's why I sought out like hip sobriety and bell and anything other than the classic, um, AA, because I, I needed to reinforce for myself that I I wasn't really an alcoholic. Mm -hmm. Um, I just needed to stop drinking for integrity reasons. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Like it was some kind of higher calling or, (laughs) Higher purpose. (laughs) Ingrid, do you mind telling our listeners how old you are? Oh, no, not at all. I'm 45. You're 45. Okay. So 42. Yeah. Yeah. That's the time. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like Sandra calls it the midlife solution, right? Like like that we come to this point where it's a little bit of a crisis, actually, you know, with our Mm -hmm. drinking. Um, But by removing it, it becomes this beautiful solution. And I think that's what, from reading your blog and, and, and researching you, like you've just blossomed and bloomed in sobriety, Ingrid. I, I have loved being sober. I have loved it. Um, and even in the beginning, there was something that just really clicked very early on. I just felt better very quickly. Yeah. Um, Ingrid, on your blog, in a couple of different posts, you talk about the differences between year one, year two, year three. We have a lot of listeners that are asking us, and and some of us document that more than others. I I have to always go back and reflect. I don't, 
I'm a forward thinking person. And so I have to really think hard, like, how was it year one? And how was that different from year two, year three? And your experience, what, what are the, do you have some thoughts about the differences between the years? Um, I do, but it's obviously only my, my experience. Um, sure. I feel that for me, year one, even though in the, in the moment in year one, and I, I blogged during year one. So when I reread my blog, I, it doesn't really reflect what I'm about to say, but um, it wasn't as much a self-reflection time. It was a real like focus on just quitting drinking. Right. Um, for me, self-reflection in the, in, you know, blogging and posting on different Facebook groups and things like that was a tool for just staying sober. Yeah. Um, it, it was really all about that. Um, and then year two for me uh, was about kind of just relaxing into not thinking about drinking all the time. And, um, uh, and for me, it was all about healing uh, my years of um, dieting and body hatred. And, and uh, I luckily didn't do a lot of damage when I was drinking. I, you know, it was all internal. So I didn't need to go through those sort of like repair steps that I think a lot of people have to deal with. Um, it was really all just self-repair. And I, mm-hmm. I think I spent year two kind of getting comfortable with sobriety. And then year three for me has been like just this crazy mix of just filling my time with all the different things I didn't fill my time with when I drank. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and it's kind of a bottomless list, but, um, but it's, it's just definitely been a m- much more like of a doing year and less of a, you know, sit around and get comfortable year. <laughs> right. Right. Cause you have the energy, you have all of these ideas are flowing, right? Like you are in, or, or not you, I feel like I have no time to waste. Right. That's yeah. kind of what I feel like everything, um, um, my friend Amanda Grace says this, uh, um, like art is an emergency. And sometimes art feels like an emergency. I feel like everything feels like an emergency, like the yeah. things that I want to do. I say that, I say that to my husband a lot and he thinks I'm extremely melodramatic, <laughs> but I really do feel my mortality in a, in a new way. Um, mm-hmm. How quickly time is passing and I mean, total midlife crisis, but, um, but it feels it feels good to have that urgency. Mm-hmm. Right. Because now you have the clarity and energy to deal with it too. Yeah. 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 A lot less fear of screwing up. Like, mm. who cares? Like, I'm just going to try it and see what happens. And if I fail, oops, you know, it's okay. Yeah. We're more equipped to handle that. Like I feel emotionally uh, prepared now. I have tools that I use and that I pick up from all different sources that can help me kind of further things along. And also I don't have to do everything. Like every idea isn't something that I need to see to fruition and I can kind of parse that out too. Yeah. Um, But when I was drinking, like Sandra and I talk about all the time, like it was just, it was just, we just talk about it. Just talk about the dreams. Just talk about the ideas and never really the follow through. Yeah, now I get to follow through. <laughs> Endless, that's right. <laughs> well, Ingrid, you ha- your blog is called Total Fatty, and I just uh, love that name so much. 
<laughs> I'm so happy that you have that name, that you got that name for a blog because it's great. Um, so obviously then disordered eating, body image, all of those things that many, many women experience as yeah you know, part of your story. Um, how do you, how did you, how did you factor the, your eating? I don't, do you call it disordered eating? Do you call it, I don't, um, Even, I call it all the things, all um, the things, right. How does that factor into your recovery? I usually call it, um, diet mentality, diet mentality. That's a good one. Yeah. Hatred because at, at the root of disordered eating, it's, it's actually not a a disorder. That, it's not a disorder, right? It, it's something in reaction to society, right? You, you right. Your body in a in a vacuum. Um, so it's all about you know getting out of that vacuum or getting out of the bubble of society. Right. Do you have adv- any advice for women that are in sobriety that, that struggle with this as well, or that are, um, that also share this mentality? Yeah. I mean, I, I personally, like I lifelong issues with my body size and with food and figuring out, you know, how to control my food intake from a super young age. Um, and, uh, I think a lot of women face this stuff, you know, when they get older, right. They're, they're, you know, normal sized, quote unquote, until like middle age or until they have a baby or until whatever. Um, but I think every woman experiences to some degree um, the feeling of shame about their body for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. It doesn't fit whatever uh, mold. So <clears throat> I just happen to have a lifelong and very distorted from a very young age view, but it, it's still real for everybody. And one of the things I um I notice a lot is that when women quit drinking, um, they often, uh, there, there are two things. They either panic about eating too much in the early days. You know, they're like, Oh, I'm just eating ice cream all the time. Or right. all I'm doing is eating candy. I'm going to get fat. And then, you know, it's better to be an alcoholic than be fat, which by the way, studies have shown that people would rather lose a limb than be fat. You're so. right. Yeah not, not a shocking response. Um, and then, uh, it, so there's that reaction. Um, and then there's the, uh, I'm quitting drinking and, and I'm going to lose weight and I'm going to become a marathoner and I'm going to, you know, there's that whole, right. Mm-hmm. They're going to do it all at once. Yeah. And, you know, to be, to be fair, there are men who, who react that way too, to quitting drinking. <laughs> you know, they, they're like, I'm doing everything all at once. Um, but I, I feel like, women in particular, um, see this as like a major self-improvement. I, I better be perfect once I've quit drinking. Um, because otherwise what's the point, right? Like I, there's, there's this, this sort of all or nothing thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, so I, I see that everywhere. Um, and I, in my own, my own struggle when I quit drinking was I was afraid I would get fatter. Um, I was afraid, especially with quitting smoking too, which I did two weeks after quitting drinking three years ago. I was afraid that I'd just be this boring, ugly, fat, sober person. 
mm-hmm. <laughs> with um, there would be no clothes that would ever fit me. Um, I'd literally be carried out of my house in a piano box. Like I, I had every possible image of um, badness coming from quitting drinking, and um, that anxiety is what drove me to start thinking about the connection between dieting and I guess self-improvement in general and then uh and how I felt in the early days of quitting drinking so uh what happened to me is that um I got a lot of feedback when I posted about these thoughts you know I'm terrified all I'm doing is eating all day blah 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 um and people kept telling me don't worry about that focus eat whatever you want yeah you can worry about it after a year. Yeah. Yeah. People are always giving that advice. Yeah. And at the time I was really rageful about that. Um, I really felt like, screw you. You have no idea how bad it will be for me. If I, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I will go down into the abyss. I'm going to eat until I burst. Um, there is absolutely no end in sight. Uh, you have no idea what you're talking about. You're talking to someone who's got a deep seated real problem with, (laughs) with food. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm laughing now because God, it was like such a firmly held belief. Um, and, uh, but I kind of did it anyway. Um, you know, quitting drinking again, I was a high bottom. I was quitting before I needed to, you know what I mean? I had this whole storyline in my head about how not an alcoholic I was. So I was like, well, you're telling me to prioritize quitting drinking, but maybe the more important thing is to prioritize dieting, right? Because that's my bigger problem. That's my lifelong problem. So it was a really complicated thing in my head. Um, But what I decided to do was just to listen to what people told me to do and just eat whatever I want. And what was kind of remarkable was how boring that got really quickly. Oh, interesting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, you know, the, all the excitement around eating whatever I wanted went away really quickly. It faded. Um, and I could no longer sit down and charge through a pint of ice cream because it was, I was having half a pint every day. I always had access to ice cream. And suddenly it was, it was just not interesting. Um, and I didn't gain a hundred pounds and I didn't, you know, my body is what it is. Right. And it, it just kind of adjusted and, you know, maybe I gained 10 pounds, but it wasn't like what I imagined. Right. And I was literally eating 24 hours a day. So, um, that surprised me, um, and kind of got me thinking about, uh, maybe they have something there, like with that, with that advice, <laughs> maybe, mm-hmm. maybe there's something in that that's bigger than just get through sobriety by eating. Don't worry about it. Maybe it's actually life advice. Um, mm-hmm. and then I started doing what I did when I quit drinking, which is um, Googling, trying to find anybody who could tell me anything about how to get out of hating my body as an adult. Like I was personally not only bored with ice cream really quickly, but I was bored with the story about my life and about my body and about my, you know, image and all this other shit. Like, oh, sorry. No, go ahead. (laughs) You're good. (laughs) I was bored with myself 
And I remember having a conversation in my 30s with a girlfriend, and we had talked about diets all our young adulthood. And she said, we're adults now, you know, let's put this behind us. I'm not interested anymore. She literally shut me down. (laughs) (laughs) We're not doing this. That's a good friend though, right? What? Because that's good. That's a good friend because it makes you kind of realize, wait, you're, you're right. This is an old story that I'm just keep hanging on to. Yeah. And here I was 42 still talking about it. Still. Mm -hmm whether I was pretty or not or blah, 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 blah. And um, so I was really bored with it. I wanted to be done with it. Um, and so I finally found this woman, Isabel Fox and Duke, who I would sing from every cliffside. If I could get everybody to go to her website or take her class or whatever, um, my uh, it would be my dream. Um, but she has this class called Stop Fighting Food, which I resisted. In the beginning, I thought it was too radical, um, but in fact, it, it was one of the most amazing turning points in my life. I, I learned so much about the problem that we have with food, um, and for me, and I think this is true for kind of anybody, um, restriction is what causes obsession. Right. So it's literally, you could restrict carrots, and you might be obsessed with carrots the next day, right? Well, like, and, th- and think about how that worked with alcohol, you know? I mean, anytime I tried to restrict my drinking, I just the obs- I just tur- turned up the obsession. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and the restriction comes from assuming, you know, believing that you, number one, can change your body size. And number two, changing your body size is going to solve problems for you, right? It's going to make people love you. It's going to make the rest of the world see you differently, blah, blah, blah. And all of that is about sort of controlling how other people view you, which you actually can't do. Like, right. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. We cannot control others. No power over that. Yeah. <clears throat> when you sort of boil it down, it comes down to literally, you know, you hate your body because people tell you your body isn't acceptable for whatever reason. Um, You're going to try to control your body and change the size of your body, which, you know, all the research is saying is basically hair color, ear size, nose size. You're born to a body size. And the only thing that makes your body bigger than it would have naturally been is dieting because dieting actually slows your metabolism permanently. Mm. And so if you start dieting really young, you're going to be fatter than you ever would have been naturally as an adult, because you've messed with your body's, you know, basic um, stabilizing system, you know, that right within a range. It's know. almost like a resting heartbeat or something, like your baseline. Like that, yeah. Um, and, it, it, and breathing, you know, <laughs> like, right. <laughs> breath for long enough, just like dieting, you have to, you know, you have to breathe. Um, and it's just like, that's where binge, what binges are. So when we say disordered eating, in my view, it's not disordered to binge after dieting. It's mm. completely normal. It's what your body has to do to, to help you survive. And your body doesn't know that you're, you're not supposed to be overweight or ugly. It doesn't know that. It just knows that you're trying to starve it. Mm. And, and that's what it's going to learn. And it's going to slow everything down. Um, especially if you diet frequently, permanently. And it's going to put on extra pounds permanently to save you from dying 
later. <laughs> like it's literally built to do that. So, and then mentally and emotionally, you're, you're designed to react to that. Like it's, it's your body struggling to, to, to get you back to whatever your set point weight is. Um, and more because it has to protect you from future dieting. So, and, and what, what struck me really when I learned all of this, what struck me was how different dieting is from quitting drinking. Like it's just really different. And people try to uh, equate the two, you know, mm -hmm. um, and it's just, it's not equivalent. Hey, Unruffled listeners, just popping in mid-show to remind you about our Patreon fundraising campaign. To date, we have produced almost two years worth of content and have over half a million downloads. We can hardly believe it. If you like what you've been hearing and appreciate our weekly consistency, you can be a patron of this show for as little as a dollar an episode. To donate, please go to patreon.com backslash the unruffled podcast. Thank you for your continued support of the show. Now back to it. When you are trying to quit drinking, you know, you have to eliminate the chemical because the chemical is what's created that addiction, right? In your brain. And you have to heal that. You have to get rid of that so that you go back to normal, right? Like if you stop drinking, your brain will heal. And that dopamine response, you know, it may not go away, but it, you'll come back to a sort of normal, natural dopamine response, right? You, you're not in that suppressed state of withdrawal and having to use alcohol to get back to whatever normal brain state. Food, food isn't like that. Food is, you're, you have to eat. You, you have need to eat, right? Um, and you certainly, you know, eliminating food doesn't solve the problem, part one. And part two, restricting food doesn't solve the problem because that creates that um, body response and psychological response that you're designed to have, um, to have more and to, to binge, you know, basically. That, so, that's such an important point, Ingrid. I didn't understand that. Um, I didn't think, not that I didn't understand it. I do understand it. I didn't, I didn't think about it that way. I had a, a close friend share that with me. Like you can quit drinking, Tammy. I can't quit eating. Right. Like it's not the same. Um, and so I want to thank you for saying that because it's, it's not the same. No, and, and the feeling of it is so opposite, <laughs> right? Right. Like with food, you have to release the restriction to feel normal around food again. Hmm. You have to release the thing that's creating the highs and the low, you know, the, the restriction and the binging and the restriction, that cycle, you, until you recognize that your body is what it is. It may not be perfect or even close to it, but you can't actually control that. And once you release that, which is a mourning process, it's a really hard process. Mm -hmm. Once you release that into the universe and you say, okay, people are going to like me. They're not going to like me. They're going to think I'm pretty. They're going to think I'm fat and ugly, like whatever. Once you let go of that, then you can actually start to deal with food on its own terms and just you know, enjoy it, understand better how it makes you feel, like eat too much of it, feel weight neutral feelings about like being uncomfortable. <laughs> you right. know, mm -hmm. um, weight neutral is a really key phrase for me. Like, um, you know, do I look good or bad when I look in the mirror? I have to like try to strip away like fat thin 
from all of those thoughts and just think or good, bad or any of those things and try to get to like, I like this outfit or I don't like this outfit or even I'm getting up like in my day to day life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, all of that makes sense to me. You know, I've talked about when I changed my thinking about drinking from I don't you know, I don't get to drink to, I don't have to drink. Things changed for me greatly around sobriety. Um, same with food for me, because I do, you know, I've, I've switched what I eat around. It's not a diet. I switch how I eat and what I eat, but I do it because it makes me feel better. And I try to strip away all of those other feelings about what the mirror is saying or what the scale is saying and all that stuff. It's just, how do I feel? Does this food make me feel bad? Then I'm, I'm not going to eat it, you know? Yeah. Or if I do, if I do, I'm not going to feel guilty about it. I'm just going to, you know, maybe suffer a couple of hours or whatever, you know? So that's how I've, I've had to totally reframe because I think we've all been as women, I think it, you're very lucky if you escaped the, escape the diet mentality. Yeah. Especially if you're our age, you know, because it was so ingrained with us. I mean, my mom was constantly on weight watchers or the cabbage diet or the, you know, like she, she did every single one. And I, you know, so I was greatly affected by that. Yeah. We had low fat cottage cheese and tab in our fridge. Right. <laughs> tab. <laughs> Love a good tab though. <laughs> yeah. I mean, one of the, one of the things the diet industry itself um really started when I was born. Like in the sixties, before I was born, there were like diet pills. And uh-huh. There there were diets, don't get me wrong, but the whole industry around it, Weight Watchers, Nutrisystem, um, you know, keto, whatever, right? <clears throat> that didn't really exist until the 70s. And if you look at, you know, the growth chart of diet industry profits and the quote unquote obesity epidemic, the lines are identical. Like dieting creates obesity. Right, right. No, that, that makes total sense to me. And, you know, we look at really fat people and we think, oh, wow, that's junk food. And they, they never try to diet or they're, you know, they don't exercise or, you know, we have all sorts of judgments about it. Um, and that might be true to a degree, right? There are environmental factors. Uh, there's you know, crappy food and don't get me wrong, fast food and there are food deserts and there's poverty, right? There, there are a lot of different things contributing. Sure. But I would, I would argue that the diet industry and our diet culture um, contributes heavily to obesity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so when you stumbled upon Isabel Fox and is it Fox and Duke? Mm-hmm. Is that her name? Yeah. Um, her work, did that help? How did that transform you then? What, what did you do from there? Um, so I, I did her class and I also did private coaching, which I think I still have sessions left that I've paid for. And I just sort of didn't need, I'll probably go back to that. But, um, the class itself, um, she starts you out easy with, you know, reading the book Intuitive Eating and just sort of learning about these things that are basically um, uh, really good ways of approaching food, but still fit within diet mentality. 
right? So she sort of eases you in <laughs> with, <laughs> with essentially another diet, right? There's the full hunger fullness diet, right? You only eat till you're full. You, you know, you only eat when you're hungry um, and you can fail at that. Um, and she starts to teach you the notion that if you can fail, if you can fall off the wagon, then it's a diet. That's it, pure and simple. Like if you can do it wrong and if there's a weight-related goal um, of any kind, even if it's secretly, I hope the pounds will fall off if I just eat when I'm hungry and stop when I'm full, you know, even if it's that underlying idea, um, then it's a diet and then you're creating diet uh, binge cycle again in your life. So she sort of eases you into it with intuitive eating, teaching you the principles of that, but cautioning you, you know, there's still a risk here of believing that you can control your body, mm. body size. And then she takes you through, <laughs> it's, a, it's really interesting. She takes you through like how to open your mind basically to the notion that it's, you know, it's not good or bad to be fat. Like that health is not linked directly to weight. Um, she takes you through science about that. Um, and there's just incredible stuff. There's a TED talk about how not only does dieting not work, but being thin doesn't actually equal being healthy. There's, um, she takes you through all of these interesting studies about um, the medical industry's biases against fat people. Here's an example. Like if you're overweight, you can't get knee replacement surgery. Mm. They tell you to lose weight before you oh, can right. Yeah. Right. And sometimes you're in a different bracket in your health insurance yeah. policy and yeah, all kinds of things. Yeah. And if they, if, and then you go and you lose the weight, but what happens and it's just 95% or more certainty is that you will gain that weight back plus some. So mm. that doctor is literally prescribing you, you know, weight gain in the long term, just so that he can, or she can, you know, give you new needs in the short term. I mean, it, it's so counterproductive to diet. Um, but the medical industry doesn't recognize that they're not educated on that. And so she takes you through all of that. And then, you know, societal stuff, it's really educational. And then it gets sort of political towards the end, which I loved. Um, and, uh, you know, just made me feel very comfortable with being who I am. Hmm. This, is, this is the body I was born with. I may have made it bigger through dieting, but I'm going to just take up the space that I take up and I'm sick of this and I don't care anymore. And if people think I'm ugly, awesome. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's their problem. Um, and uh, that's that. Wow. That's a big turning point for you then. I mean, that's huge. Yeah. That's big. I'm glad that you got there. Um, because that's got to be a horrible place to be stuck in and to be thinking like that about yourself, right? For your whole life. Yeah. A lot of pain. <laughs> it's a lot of pain. Yeah. The pain that I covered up with a lot of ridiculous, a lot of artifice, right? Yeah. It led to smoking when I was young, you know, trying to control my food by smoking, my eating, and then drinking to sort of overcome feeling ugly, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. Well, and then, you know, that was just one more thing that you have released from your brain obsessing and fixating over, and it just opens up so much more space, right? To think about other things it really <laughs> that does. are more purposeful and creative and, yeah. and all of that, right? Yeah, definitely. Well, and that leads me to um, something that you've done recently, um, and that's open a bookstore. I'm so dying to hear about this because actually that sounds like a dream. Yes. But you have a career already. So what on earth were you thinking (laughs) when you opened a bookstore? (laughs) Um, Let's see. Um, A lot of different things. I was thinking a lot of different things. So I've, I've had a long list of things that I'd like to do. Um, and, uh, prioritizing that list was hard for me still is. (laughs) Um, although I I have all that brain space, it's, it's not, you know, high functioning yet. (laughs) So I have this long list of things I've wanted to do. Um, with the bookstore, Gosh, it's sort of hard. It's really hard to explain, and I can't even answer it when people come into the store and ask me. Um, but when um, on, on the long list of things, some of them were, you know, centered around opening a retail store, um, which I knew would be expensive, hard, and wouldn't make me any money. Um, <laughs> just I knew it. I'm in the business world. I knew it wouldn't be something that would be financially fruitful. Um, and so I held off on doing it. I had other ideas and other business ideas and things like that. Um, but I really wanted, I wanted it. I wanted to sit in a store. I wanted to play store. I know that sounds so lame, but I, I I love, you know, talking to people and taking their money and typing into the little machine. Like (laughs) that's just really fun. Um, and I wanted to do it. And uh, the bookstore versus a clothing store was, I just, I love reading and I like people who love reading. Right. Uh, sort of a self fulfilling, you know, it, it's a filter basically of the kind yeah. of customers you're going to get. <laughs> so yeah. if I did a clothing store, I would probably get a much wider variety of people that I wasn't as interested in meeting. Right. So, um, bookstore kind of became the lead. And then we, my husband and I moved to this smaller town, Burien, just south of Seattle. And there were a bunch of empty storefronts, um, you know, and I just started looking into what it would cost to rent one of them and uh, ended up finding a tiny space that's incredibly affordable. And I just did some math and realized like I could be, make it essentially a pop-up shop this is back when my husband wasn't interested in helping, by the way. <laughs> um, I was like, here's what I'll do. I'll open this store. I can afford it. Like if I, I can do this for a whole year and still not um, uh, drain my savings account, right? So I can afford this as a project. And so I just sort of labeled it that. Um, and then uh, I conceived of it as kind of a, a pop-up shop. So evenings, weekends. <laughs> So I would work my normal job nine to five or nine to six um, and then just open the bookstore when I was available. Forgetting a little bit that I travel constantly for work, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> a little side of that. Oh, that, that part. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, but it was such a tiny space um, that I thought this could work. This could work. Um, and uh, then it just sort of took on a life of its own. So the decision to do it was really more kind of access and financial um, security. I don't have kids. I'm not paying for anybody's college. Um, I had that, you know, luxury of being able to do a quote unquote project. Right. So there's that. Um, but I also, uh, you know, living in Pioneer Square in Seattle, I couldn't have afforded a retail space in that booming area. Um, it just never would have worked um, in addition to my job. And I would have had to take that huge dive and risk knowing that it wouldn't work. Right. At yeah. least not to the degree that I would be comfortable. So and I didn't want that pressure. I didn't want to freak out. Um, so this was just an opportunistic thing, really, where I, this tiny space, it's two blocks from our house. Um, I knew I could make it beautiful. Um, and then I just started researching all the different kind of cool things that are out there um, in the bookstore slash retail space and made it, um, and it still is this, it's this ongoing evolving project to try to uh, do a twist on bookstores. <laughs> there's a there's this bookstore in Tokyo, you should look this up, um, where they literally feature one book, I think a month. Oh, that's oh. interesting. <laughs> <laughs> and, the, and it's like a gallery opening. They have a big opening party for the one book and they totally redesign the space around the book. Wow, that's minimalism at its at its <laughs> Yeah, and um, I, I just thought that was so cool. They have this one party, and then they just sell that one book for a whole month, and then they switch it out. Um, and then <laughs> there are, um, you know, sort of niche bookstores, right? You've seen those mystery books or whatever. Um, and, and so I've, I don't know, that was kind of my inspiration. But I haven't gotten there yet with the bookstore, but well, how does it work though with books? Now, do you when you have books that you don't sell, do you own them and discount them, or can you send them back, or how does how does that work with books? Um, that's a really good question. I'm I'm coming up against that <laughs> <laughs> already now because <clears throat> we only opened the bookstore February third, so it's been uh, two and a half months, I guess. Right. Um. So. Yeah, um, some of the books you can return, um, but you have to pay for the shipping and you don't get 100% of your money back. Um, right. And some of the books are not returnable. Mm -hmm. um, most hardcovers, excuse me, are returnable. Um, the trick is you might make more money just discounting mm -hmm. versus mailing them back and paying for the shipping and paying for the, you know, the the loss. Sure. So it, it's a little, little complicated. Um, I haven't really fully sorted out what I'm going to do. <laughs> I mean, like, um, and actually it's really funny. People ask me a lot of, you know, people walk into the store and ask me, you know, why a bookstore? And I never can tell if they're asking me why a bookstore versus another kind of store, why a bookstore um, instead of anything else in the world, you know, right. <laughs> uh, uh, one woman actually literally came out and said, you know, what qualifies you to own a bookstore? Oh, wow. Interesting. Yeah. And it turned out she was a librarian. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> Those are the times where you just want to say, 
you know, you could open a bookstore too. <laughs> I know. And that's literally, I, I think my answer was nothing, nothing. <laughs> yeah. Because it sounds like she secretly wants to own a bookstore. <laughs> yeah. We have a lot she of critiques for, um, there was another woman who had a bookstore in town. And she had a lot of different opinions about how she did things right and wrong, mostly wrong. Um, and <laughs> I was uh, a little shocked, but um, I think there is some element of um, uh, a little bit of a trigger for me when people ask me, you know, because I'm like, well, Actually, I'm not worthy of owning a bookstore. I haven't read all the books in the bookstore. I don't know everything about running a bookstore. And I, um, in fact, I don't know even a fraction of what I should know um, for me. And, and, and then I get really um, annoyed at myself because I start sounding like this bourgeois lady, you know, who just needed something to do with her spare time. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, but you know, it's, that's how the first year is going to go too. And I'm sure you know that, but it's going to be, you're going to try things. Some things will work, some things won't. And I guess the reason why I asked about the, the books that you don't sell is I would think with a bookstore, it's probably not as easy to be very fluid, you know, if, as far as like changing things up, like if you do candles and some apparel, like all that stuff, you can kind of is a little more fluid, you know, like I'm going to, I think I'm going to sell some earrings or, you know, little accessory things on the side, but the books are just kind of either they sell or they don't. It's the feature of the store. Right. And so anyway, I've worked, I've worked some retail before, but I've never worked at a bookstore. And so I, I find that, I find that pretty interesting. It, It is really interesting. And I think I was pretty naive I know I was naive going into it. Um, and I'm still learning every day about what book selling really is. Um, I do sell aprons and candles. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, because I love them. But um, the the book part, um, people, so first of all, yes, it's true. Uh, you know, they either sell or they don't. And putting them on sale doesn't usually help all that much. You mm. know? I'm noticing that when I discount things, which I've done, um, you know, for, there was a hardcover that um, I only have two copies left of it, um, but it came out in paperback. Um, and I don't want to like not tell people it's in paperback or not order the paperbacks. You know what I mean? Um, so I have the paperbacks in stock um, and I discounted the hardcover, but it just, you know, it doesn't move people much. Um, right. You know, what do you think about when books are discounted? Because I often think bad book. That, that it's not a good book. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a complicated thing. Uh-huh. And so, and I think I'm going to rely a little more on merchandising and placement uh-huh. and start doing my own reviews, which I haven't done yet. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, things like that, um, to, to encourage people, um, a little bit more than with discounting. Um, it's too small of a store for people to feel like they're going to get a deal anyway, right? They're, they're not right. Oh, this is better than Amazon. It, that's not going to happen. So, um, I do have to figure out that balance. Uh, I do move the books around on the tables and the shelves. Yeah. Right. That's one way. Yeah. Uh, um, just, you know, because some people come in more than once and just make it fresh. 
Yeah. See something new. Ingrid. Oh, go ahead. No, I was just saying, I I used to own a wine bar and a gift shop. And uh, over time, I eventually brought in books because I loved books so much. Mm -hmm. Um, And, but the working with people and people coming in and saying anything that they want to (laughs) say, is really hard for me. And I was drinking at the time. And um, that's, I drank a, a lot at my customers and at feeling uncomfortable and not being able to say what I really wanted to say. I mean, people will come in and ask like, how much money do you make? doing this. Oh my God. Really? And it's like, that is the rudest question. I would never walk into someone's job and ask them, how much money do you make at doing this? Yeah. You know, I would never do that. But people, when you're kind of um, in an industry where they can walk in and, you know, they're buying from you, they think that they can ask you anything. And so I think if I was sober, I could, you know, at the time I was not, um, I would probably answer those things differently, but um, I could probably handle it emotionally a little bit better than I used to and didn't have to drink at it. But when you just said what you said about your reviews of books, um, <laughs> this is, I used to review wines, right? And the wines that I would write something for and describe or what was my favorite, that's what sold. Mm-hmm. Right. So the more I did that, <laughs> the more I drank, but, um, that was my business at the time and putting your personal stamp on everything. Like you already have, I'm sure the store is very personal and very you, um, but yeah, I think putting, um, your personal opinions on things, I think that'll help either spark a conversation with someone who's in there. Um, or when you're not, is it just you that runs it? Is, is it nobody else runs it? Um, no, my husband has gotten on the, on the bus. You got him on the bus. All right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're, yeah, they're, they're, they're on the payroll now. <laughs> they're there because they want to be at a small bookstore with the, the owners working there. I mean, there's one in Point Reyes where the, where the husband and wife worked there. And I would drive all the way an hour away from my house to go to that little bookstore to buy a book. Yeah. Because I wanted to support them. They had great little um, author series. Um, you know, I think, like you said, the, your market, your readers, people who you want to that, that like to read and, and usually are writers as well too, right? Writers and readers. Yeah. You want, that's the audience you want to capture. That's why they're coming to your bookstore. Yeah. How did you think of the name for it? Can you tell our listeners what the name of it is? Oh, sure. It's Three Trees Books. Um, and, and the story behind the name uh, is uh, pretty short, actually. Um, I wanted, we just moved to this neighborhood I mentioned, um, and right near where we live is a place called Three Tree Point. Mm-hmm. It's this extremely beautiful place um, right on Puget Sound. And uh, a lot of the different shops are called Three Tree whatever. Um, and uh, what happened <laughs> was I was originally going to do a niche bookstore. Um, the, the idea that I've had for you know, 20 years was to do a bookstore for basically just self-help. And it was going to be called for crying out loud. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. (laughs) I was going to make it a chain. It was going to be in every neighborhood in America um, with a couple of leather couches and tissues and, uh, you know, (laughs) and, you know, there would also be a how-to section with cookbooks and gardening and whatever, but um, mostly it would be you know, emotional self-help. And uh, so that was the idea I'd had forever. And, but when I found this space, um, it was tiny, it's right next door to the post office. And, uh, and I'd explored the bookstore, bookstore options, I should say, in in the neighborhood. And there just wasn't a, a dedicated new book bookstore. 
in, in the area. The Barnes and Noble that was nearby shut down. Um, there was a really cool used bookstore, but I, I, I have to be honest, I always feel really overwhelmed in big bookstores. I don't know yeah. if you but I, I walk in and I'm like, ah, um, and so you mean I, like a, like a Powell's or like a Barnes and Noble, any, yeah, just any bookstore, any bookstore that's yep. large. Okay. Got there it. Are a lot of people who love them. Um, right. I've met a lot of those people. Um, but I actually go in and get a little panicky and I'm like, how am I going to like stop myself from buying all the books? How am I going to just pick one? Pick the right one. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then I end up at the magazine rack for too long, you know, like it's a, it's a very strange mix of joy and anxiety when I go into big bookstores. Um, and then I always get really easily influenced by uh, marketing, <laughs> you know, like where the books are positioned, what the cover looks like, like all that stuff actually matters. I, I have to be honest, right? Like I actually get super influenced by that stuff. And then I end up just sort of picking up whatever has been fed to me, hand fed, and then I go buy them and I get out of there. I don't spend entire days in bookstores. Um, a lot of people love that. I, I find it anxiety producing. Mm -hmm. So, uh, a part of me, and by the way, this is going to sound really weird, but I love airport bookstores. <laughs> oh, right. Cause they're tiny and curated and yeah. yeah. And they're just the best sellers or whatever, you know, and I'm like, okay, I can pick amongst five, you know, and mm -hmm. that's easy enough. Um, so that feeling of overwhelm, I, anyway, I, I really wanted to offer something like an airport bookstore, which sounds really awful, <laughs> but not really. But not about, yeah. Great okay. magazines, good books. Yeah. Like, yeah. Good airport bookstore <laughs> yeah. to, to this little neighborhood. Um, and, uh, you know, really curated, thoughtful, hot, you know, bookstore. Um, little one, um, that would make it really easy to come in and just pick a book and go. Um, so somewhere between the Tokyo one book a month and an airport bookstore would be my bookstore. <laughs> um, and once I pivoted to that, once I realized I wanted to do something more general, um, I, I had to think of a different name. And so it was for me, you know, riffing on the three tree thing made sense because I wanted to be a part of the community. That was a large part of why I did this um, was to just get to know people and, you know, get to know the book readers of my neighborhood. Um, so I decided three trees, instead of making it possessive or singular, which is the actual name, um, I just wanted to evoke the idea that books come from trees. So oh, yeah, I like that. I love that. Well, do you have a, an ordinary amount of recovery books or quitlet? <laughs> When I first um, started thinking about this, because it's originally the self-help bookstore, there was going to be, of course, a huge section. <laughs> um, I, I ordered all the, the initial inventory for the bookstore. And in my head, I had ordered, you know, 9 million Quitlet books and then like 10 other kinds of um, I had this total panic attack. I posted about it on the internet. I was like, I think my bookstore is going to freak people out because it's going to be all alcohol <laughs> books and memoirs and everything. And everyone's going to know I quit drinking and it's going to be so embarrassing and weird and awkward. And, um, and then the books came and it turned out I only had, so all my bookshelves are actually those white Ikea 
big square bookshelves, you know, the ones mm -hmm. that hold vinyl records. Um, so yeah, it turns out I only had enough Quitlet for one cube. Oh, there oh. You okay. So that was a little bit funny. That was your <laughs> <laughs> future tripping and catastrophizing all. Yeah. Right. For, for no reason, for no good reason. At all. No reason at all. Um, but to be fair, it is a bigger part of my kind of self-help life improvement section than I think at most bookstores. But, um, but uh, yeah, I have, a, I have a little section with my little curated collection of my favorites. Um, and I point it out a lot. I, I, I feel like there are certain people that come into the bookstore, not that I like peg them for being drinkers. <laughs> <laughs> You're profiling people. <laughs> but it's hard not to watch, I bet, who's kind of lingering over that section. Yeah, um, I, would, I would be super curious. But if I see them even drift close by, I, I very quickly offer up that I quit drinking three years ago and I love all of those books and they were really important to me. And, you know, you should check them out if you're at all curious, you know. <laughs> oh, I love it. That's great. Well, remember That's that, great. Remember that scene in When Harry Met Sally when she's in the bookstore with um, Carrie yeah. Fisher and she's like, oh, I was staring at you from personal growth. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I love that. I love that. That's my favorite movie. Oh. Well, one more question about your bookstore. Is it a big enough space where you can host uh, author talks or have little mini events, that, that kind of thing? Yeah, we um, – Yes and no. Um, it's big enough to have, so what I have are these, these two main tables in the middle of the space. It's, it's 270 square feet total. Um, so I've put these two big tables in the middle uh, and they're covered with books. And I have had, I had a ring making class. Um, my friend Kat uh, has a jewelry company, Grace Gow, and she teaches, she lets you carve a ring out of wax and then she makes it into a mold and mails you a solid silver. Whoa, that is so fun. I want to do that. Really cool. Come to Seattle. She, she okay. Okay. Sandra, let's go to Seattle. <laughs> okay. Done. Add it to our list. She's, she's great. And her jewelry is really beautiful. Anyway, so we, I just cleared the books off the tables and we have stools and we could fit eight to 10 people um, for so we can do that. I'm going to be doing classes. We're actually having a class June 13th um, on lucid dreams. Ooh. <laughs> you ever heard? I've been having lucid dreams with Pixie Lighthorse. Yes. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah, I had a really disturbing lucid dream just this morning. So, yes. <gasps> yes, I often lucid dream. Okay. Well, so this class is to teach you how to kind of induce a lucid dream. Ooh. And keep track and sort of get something from your dreams in your life, in your daily life. And I like that. Apparently the idea is that once you start learning how to do that, it changes how you live because you start observing things differently uh, during Ooh. the day. Prepare for your lucid dreaming at night and things like that. So interesting. <laughs> it's pretty weird, but I'm excited. Uh, so we're going to have that class, but I hope to have a whole series of classes like that with smaller, you know, eight to 10 people. The trick though, I don't think I can do proper author readings because I can't, I could take the tables out, I suppose. Mm -hmm. There's in the space, um, but it's still, I don't think would hold. Uh, I don't know that it would work. I've, I've really struggled with that. Um, right. 
a really neat thing. So to date, what I've been doing is sort of looking for good author readings and just promoting them on Instagram for other bookstores, which is a big fun thing. Um, it's the funnest thing. For, it was one of the th- one of the first fun things I discovered in early sobriety. And I still love to go. I mean, we have a bookstore here in Austin similar to Pals called Book People. And they sponsor the big book author tours and, and do book signings. So some of the other smaller bookstores do book signings as well. But Book People is where you can go see, I, you know, I saw Mary Carr and Lena Dunham and, you know, just really good fun um, author yeah. signings. It's just so fun. Drink coffee and... Yeah. There's some pastries usually lying around and it's really good. And you're surrounded, you're right. You're surrounded by people that are probably like-minded. They like books. They like words. They, they're smart, engaging. Yeah. yeah. And, and I love the whole culture of cross-promoting other bookstores and other events. Like there, there's something, just feeling a part of that community is really neat. I'm sure you guys feel that as podcasters. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. This, uh, when you can like. The gen- more the merrier. Yeah, exactly. When you're genuinely saying, hey, you should do this. This is cool on its own. And, and I'm not doing it for any gain other than, you know, you would think it's cool. <laughs> and, right. And I really, I really love that as a business owner. I think that's one of my favorite things is being a part of that community. Oh, Ingrid, I, we're, we're getting to where we need to wind down, but I want to ask, um, Sandra, I see on your note here, I was going to ask about this as well. Um, you are a word for the year gal, right? <laughs> yeah. Because that's what we are too. Like we love a good word for the year to motivate us. Um, can you, would you mind sharing? Like, did you pick a word the year you got sober? Uh, I don't know that I did. I didn't think about it. Okay. It was year two that I latched on. To that idea. And did it, so did it help you with your year? Did it keep you focused? It did. It yeah. Did. My, Do you my rem- word was dream. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it sort of sent me into a bit of a tizzy, a spiral of, you know, remembering all the dreams I once had that I quashed. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was a really kind of, sad start, <laughs> but, um, but I, I was committing to letting myself, letting my mind wander beyond the boundaries that I set for myself. For mm-hmm. most um, so yeah, it helped a lot. What's your word for the year for this year? Crazy. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, how are you going to manifest or will manifest that? <laughs> I already said it. I hope it bookstore. Um, yeah, no, crazy was really intentional. I, I really, um, uh, felt the loss of drunken crazy. Mm. Yeah. Ridiculous. But like, I miss being stupid. Just uninhibited, that kind of feeling. Yeah. Yeah. I get it. Bad decisions, you know, (laughs) acting out that's another phrase I love a lot because I can still find lots of ways to act out yep and I and I think I needed to give myself permission to like push those Uh uh-huh get back to that like who I who I am right well you opened a bookstore on my sobriety birthday I love it that was Super Bowl Sunday right 
Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. Congratulations to you. <laughs> well, I'm definitely going to be coming up that way. That's awesome. I, I, uh, I might even have a workshop to share with you. So, okay. This is good. Love that. This is and how close are you just geography wise? How close are you to Seattle now? We're technically about four miles south. Oh, so really it's like a suburb. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's, yeah. The Brooklyn of Seattle. Got it. Okay. 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 That's great. In a really hopeful way. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. It's cool. Really, everybody. Drink water. (laughs) Well, um, thank you so much for coming on and talking about everything, Ingrid. We, um, well, we'll get to, to sharing all of your, your things where people can find you, but we do this part of the show that I think people really like about tools and what's in your toolbox. Um, Sandra, I'm sorry, I jumped. Do you have anything else that you want to ask? No, sorry no about that. I don't. I don't. I, 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 you promoted your, um, your class coming up in June. And if there's anything else you want to promote, um, feel free, but no, please. I want to hear your toolbox items. Um, yeah, no, I don't, I don't have anything else to promote. Okay, great. (laughs) Well Um, then, then yeah, the the unruffled toolbox, if you've listened to this show, it's a sobriety or creative, um, tools that we, you use or whatever is your jam right now, um, that our listeners can kind of maybe glean some, some ideas from. Yeah. Yeah. So your top three or 24, whatever you have. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I would say I'm still, uh, really reliant (laughs) in my toolbox on LaCroix. Mm -hmm. Uh Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's a real thing. Uh, I wish it were a little bit more exciting as a, (laughs) but uh, I really love LaCroix. What's your Uh, favorite flavor? You know, I, I change it up, but ah. like it's in um, uh, the coconut, which I did not like when I first ventured into LaCroix land. Yeah, I didn't either. That's like the one I, I went to a, a stack of all this LaCroix at the store yesterday. And I was like, they were all flavored. And I'm like, no, nah, I don't want any of these. And one of them was the coconut. And I was like, who drinks coconut? <laughs> you, you drink know, coconut. You know, if I mix the coconut with like pineapple juice or something, I, I'm, I'm totally down with the coconut. But by itself, it just makes me want to be at the beach. You know, I'm thinking like it's sort of, sort of like suntan lotion. Like I'm yeah. smelling it. Um, I'll have to give it another try. But you're making me want to revisit, especially because, you know, warm weather is here. And so here anyway. Yeah. Um, And then for me recently, so for the first couple of years, it was Quitlet for sure, reading Mm -hmm. tons of those books. Um, And, but with opening the bookstore, I've kind of revisited my love of fiction so I've been sort of obsessively reading fiction, both because I love it and it's a great, you know, way to spend my time, but also, you know, it's kind of my job now. <laughs> What's the last good fiction book that you've read? Oh, gosh. Um, so many good ones recently. Uh, but my favorite um, in recent times is The Goldfinch. Oh, yeah. I love that book. Oh, Jesus Christ, that book is... <laughs> Yeah. That, 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 that book broke me. Yeah. Yeah. I read that one a couple of years ago and yeah, so good. I was late to the party. I just, 
because I was reading Quitlet for Well, it's a commitment. Yeah, yeah. it's it's a commitment. I, I had I, it was a library book for me and I had to check it out twice to finish it. I remember that. Um, but golly, that was a good book. You're making me want to go back and reread it. And I don't reread a lot of books, but that's one that I could reread, but I think I'm going to go back to that one. I, I reread the ending of that book. I've reread the ending and photocopied pages of it. And just like when I first read it, because I couldn't get enough of it, I didn't want it to end. And the, and the meaning and the, oh, just the end of that book was so freaking good. It was so freaking good. Yeah. It really was um, just really profound. Yeah. About life. Um, yeah. It, it really hit every note for me. It wasn't an easy book to read, but I'm so glad I read it. Yeah. You know, it was, it was, it was challenging, but it was so beautiful. Oh, I have it sitting in the back of my garage and my books to donate to the library. Cause I do a library sale. And oh, so you so, hang on to it. No, I, I won't get rid of it. Every time I go back there to go take books, I keep setting that one aside and setting that one aside. Yeah. <laughs> oh, good book. Yes. Yeah. Very good. So there's that. And then, um, in general right now, I'm very focused on bookstore projects. Um, mm-hmm yesterday's project was labeling all the sections in the bookstore. Like, I mean, little things, right? Very obvious, mm-hmm. things, but they end up being sort of creative projects in and of themselves. Um, and the next thing will be actually writing those reviews that I talked about. Nice. Doing that. But for me, the, the creative stuff, um, just in general, it goes in these very distinct spurts and I have to kind of harness it. And, and for me, that's a great tool. Like I, I'll sit in PowerPoint for days, just completely laser focused on, I don't know, laying out the bookstore or, you know, redecorating the house or, you know, it doesn't matter or figuring out, um, I, I learned how to sew last summer, mm-hmm. <laughs> which was really great. Um, and I'll spend a whole day, um, sketching, uh, things that I'd like to make. Um, yeah. and so it, for me, it's, it's, there's no like ongoing long project. I, mm-hmm. I can't really do things that way, but doing little creative bursts really keeps me feel, I don't know. I just feel good. I feel alive. Right. Um, it's a way to take things sort of in seasons or to kind of, yeah, chunk things out. And that's a, that's a good thing because at least you don't have 25 things going and not, and you don't, you know, only finish a few. Yeah, no, I've, I've always been like, even when I read books, people can't actually like get me out of the book. My mom would like yell my name, Ingrid, 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 and like, I wouldn't hear it. And that's how I sort of pursue anything. (laughs) It's a little bit crazy. Um, and it applies to my regular job too. You know, like I just get very, very laser focused and I have to finish. I can't not. Um, so it's, maybe it's OCD. I don't know. I haven't been diagnosed, but, um, <laughs> but that's how I approach creative stuff. And, and it's, for me, it's a complete outlet uh, and a great sober tool. Like, and it yeah. makes me feel um, uh, more complicated and more interesting than when I was just working and drinking. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Oh God. What did, do I, ha- did I ever have anything to talk about? I don't know. <laughs> same, I had the same things to talk about over and over. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. looping. I definitely did the looping when my hippocampus was shut down. Yeah. Looping was on. I was just going to tell you the same thing over and over again. Oh, so, I totally did So that. annoying. <laughs> Repeat. 
I can't imagine being around me. I must well, when I'm around that now, I'm so annoyed. <laughs> me too. I'm super judgy and so annoyed. And then I'm like, oh, I know you. I should have more compassion. Yeah, you. I, I know. But that's when I have to say is when I'm when I have to excuse myself to go to the bathroom or something. Yeah, I'm out. <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> Slip away. <laughs> well, Ingrid, on all these things that, um, in our secret Facebook group um, for, for listeners who are listening, we have one. Um, it's a great way to connect and find other people, other creatives. Um, um, you can but just, we also call, talk about recovery in there quite a bit yeah. as well. Yeah, Creativity, recovery, but it's a safe space. So if listeners want to join that, um, you can just um, send a friend request to Sandra or myself and, um, on Facebook and, we, and ask us to add you and we'll add you. But um, you could always promote your projects there, Ingrid, your bookstore, things that are going on because people live all over the place. And we have quite a few people in the Pacific Northwest. Um, you know, workshops that you're doing, we share on Fridays, we call them creative share Fridays. And, uh, we allow people to self promote on that day instead of throughout the week, we just designate one day a week. So please feel free to, to promote and share what you got going on. Oh, I'd love to. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. And then just real quickly, I want to revisit a couple of, uh, resources that you dropped. You talk about, you talked about Bell's, we talked about Bell's 100 day challenge and her website is tired of thinking about drinking, right? Yep. Yeah. And, um, I know Christy Coulter found her, I think first too. And, um, because she Googled just that, I'm tired of thinking about drinking or something like that <laughs> and it came right up. But um, yeah, so she does uh, some challenges. I don't know if she has a, I don't know if she has any sort of secret groups or chats or uh, ways you can communicate with other women. Um, but there's also others on Facebook besides ours. So feel okay. free to reach out. We mm-hmm. can hook you up. Yeah, pick you up with some of the other groups. Tell you this, give you the secret handshake on how to how to get in because you can't find them by googling them. Yeah, because they're secret, but yeah. they're hugely helpful. Yeah, right. Changing groups. Mm. Well, thank right. you so much. Um, do you want to drop your website or places where people can find you here? Let people know. Sure. Um, there's three trees books.com. You can find me there. Um, and then there's total fatty.com, which is fatty with a Y, <laughs> um, which is my blog. And I actually, my next creative project is to rewrite that whole blog into an actual, um, more of an instructive help people. Mm. Oh, great. Versus therapeutic for me. Um, so that uh, is a big undertaking. Yeah. I'm, I'm holding off until the bookstore feels a little bit more manageable, but I'm really excited about that. Uh, I I just think there can't be enough resources talking about quitting drinking and getting out of diet. You're absolutely right. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story here with us and with our listeners. And we really appreciate it, Ingrid. Well, it's a, it's an honor to be here. Thank you both. Thanks, Ingrid. All right. Bye. Bye. The Unruffled Podcast was created and produced by Sandra Primo and Tammy Salas. Our show is edited and mixed by Steve Hecht. Original music composed and performed by Caitlin Schumacher. Original artwork created by Tammy with the help of graphic designers, 
Chris Aguirre and Amy Lanier. Thanks for listening.